so much more fun to believe in people than criticize them. You know what I'm talking about? To, uh, to be someone with a shovel digging the dirt out instead of throwing it on top of somebody's life. So let's just believe. People, people just need hope. People need encouragement. People need people to speak life to them and love them. And, uh, and I'm telling you this year, y'all ready for this? We're getting larger. Let's say it again. We're getting larger. We're, go- we're going to live larger. All right? Bigger. All right? Last, year, last week, we talked about digging out some wells. Talked about don't drink from the well of jealousy. Don't drink from strife. Uh, keep digging when people seem to be contesting what you've got because God's bringing us into a sweet place. And I shared this verse. It's a great verse. I hope you'll put it on your refrigerator. It's worth, It's worthy of your refrigerator right here. Psalm 84, verse 6 from the Passion Translation. Even when your path winds through dark valleys filled with tears, some of you have been there, you're going to dig deep and you're going to find a pleasant pool where others have found only pain. How many of you received that? You're going to keep digging and you're going to find pleasant pools to drink from where other people only find pain because some people quit digging. And they quit going after God. I want you to take a look on the screen. I'm reading from the Message Bible today. I want to talk about saying so long to our small thinking. And here's our theme verse really for this entire series. It's found in 2 Corinthians 6, 11 through 13. And I'm reading from the Message Translation. I love the way it says it. We didn't fence you in, Paul said. The smallness that you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I got to say that again. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking, Paul says, as plainly as I can and with great affection. I love Paul's fathering heart here. I'm, I'm telling you guys this as clearly as I can, but my heart is full of love. And this is his challenge to them. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Everybody say openly, which means we're going to throw it wide open, all right? We're not going to hold anything back, and expansively. Everybody say expansively. That means we're living large. We're living wide. We're not going to live under the constraints of things that have held us back. Let me encourage you with point number one here, just simply with this thought. Your life is not small. Many of you are your own worst enemies, and you got the wrong view of yourself, and you have this idea you know, it's good, to be, it's good to be small in your own eyes in terms of humility. We don't want to be like Saul who built an altar for, or, you know, statue for himself when he got too big for his britches. That's not, I'm not talking about false humility. I'm talking about having an accurate perception of your life. How many of you know every one of you has been made in the image and likeness of God? Which means you're not small. It means you're awesome. It means you have incredible potential. It means you have great value. It means your life is precious to God and precious to other people. It means you're treasured. It means, how about this, that even when we sin and trashed what it means to be made in the image of God, that God loved us so much he sent his son to redeem us and shed the blood of his son to purchase you back to God. How many of you know your life is not small in God's eyes? It's big in God's eyes. You matter. And how many of you realize when you got saved, you locked arms with the king of glory and you joined him on assignment. Which means your life has purpose. Gail, you know, how old are you right now if you don't mind me asking? 52. 52. You're a young man. All right, 52. 
You know, I don't know how old the Apostle Paul was when he got radically encountered by Jesus, but he felt like he had wasted a lot of years. You know, some of us have wasted years. But I'll just tell you this, your life, brother, is not small. You might feel small now, you might feel like, what have I done, or where am I, or what's going on? But I'm telling you, the first revelation to living larger is to realize that your life is not small. There are people, and I saw this at my father's funeral. My mom, by her own testimony, said my dad was a normal guy, meaning he was relatable. He was down to earth. There wasn't anything extraordinary uh, about uh, him other than the fact that he did not live small. He loved people. Uh, His life, and the power of God through his life, as we saw it that wake, impacted literally thousands and thousands of people. How many people this year does God want you to touch through your life, which sometimes you feel like it's just little old me and it's small? How many people do you want to touch? How, how many people, with, we, when you take seed, for instance, and, and we give to the Lord, we're not giving to Ron Johnson or Ron Johnson Ministries, I hope you all know it's not about personality, we give to the Lord. When we sow to the Lord and we take that little seed, the five loaves and the fishes that we give, um, what, what happens with that? God multiplies it and your money has feet and it keeps running in the nations of the world. This is staggering what God can do. Your life is not small. Your life has an incredible impact throughout all eternity. And I don't care if you've failed. I don't care if your life's broken right now, if you feel like you're in a ditch right now. I'm telling you this year, you're not small. There's incredible things that God wants to do through you. You need to start dreaming again. You're not here by yourself. You're not here by accident. You're not, I'm to this, I'm to that. Look at the Bible and read it this year. You'll see that the Bible is full of normal people, average people, nobodies in the world's eyes. And yet God changed history through people like that. Do you all believe that the the collective group of these folks right here in this room this morning, that collectively the impact in our lives this year could be stunning? I'm looking, at, I'm looking out at the moms out there that, are, you know, you're in, the, you're in the role of uh, raising babies and changing diapers, and, and, it's, and it's a tough season. You know, Marion got a vision one year early in our marriage that, you know what, God's blessed us with eight world changers. So I'm going to pour my life into raising up these children to be all that God has called them to be. And check this out. If all she did one little small life was love eight children and instill godliness in them and love and nurture them and vision in their hearts, then how many of you know she just multiplied her life eight times over? It's really more than that because those eight lives will go out and impact God only knows how many lives. My point is this. Nothing that we do is small unless we view it in a small way. God's wanting us to start seeing ourselves as significant. I'm telling you, if you're here and you're breathing, then God didn't waste any time or effort in creating some small, insignificant person. You're huge in God's eyes. I'm going to say it again. You're huge in God's eyes. He fashioned you in detail. He gifted you specifically, and nothing God does is without purpose. Does this make sense? Start to see yourself, not like, oh, I'm so big, I'm so important. No, that's the wrong view. But this is the perspective. My little life in the natural. You know, David said this, who am I that the king of glory would even consider moi? All right? That's what David said. He was looking at the universe and looking at the stars and looking at everything. And in perspective, he said, who am I 
But then he said this, but God made us a little lower than the angels, crowned us with glory, y'all, you know that passage. So that's what I'm talking about. Hey, who am I? But guess what? When I partner with God, who am I? I'm somebody that carries around the presence of God. I'm somebody who makes hell quiver. How about you? Makes hell shake. Uh, I'm somebody that gives the devil headaches at night. How about you? Not me, Christ in me. It's the one who I'm partnered with that makes all the difference in the world. So check out Philippians 3.20. Here's another refrigerator. Now put this one in your bathroom. You need to see this one when you're brushing your teeth in the morning, all right? And I'm serious. Put this on your bathroom window, all right? You're, 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 you're right in front of you there as you're looking in the mirror, brushing your teeth. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and to accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, infinitely more than your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. How many of you know the the short end of the stick there is not God? It's me. If you see yourself as small, you're going to have little requests. Here's what I want to challenge you to do this year. Can you pray some prayers that cause you to stagger a little bit? Let me be simple with you. Could you pray some really big prayers this year for a change? Specific prayers that cause you to go, what did I just ask for? I'm serious. Let's put away puny praying. Let's put away our bless me prayers. Bless Daniel. Bless Taylor. Bless mom. Bless Marion. What in the world does that mean? Will you put some teeth to your prayers this year? Some specificity to your prayers this year? Will you ask God for big things? How about this one? Can we put away our tiny dreams and start asking God to give us some unbelievable dreams that make us giggle? You know, when Sarah got the word from the Lord, she giggled. It wasn't a holy giggle. It was a giggle of unbelief. Because she looked in the mirror and saw a bunch of wrinkles. She said, there's no way that can happen in the natural. She giggled. Can you please have some dreams with me that make us giggle? Like, oh my gosh. I have no idea how that's going to happen. It's going to have to be God. And the Lord's like, hello, hello. Thank you. And how about this? Can we allow our imagination to do something besides worry? You know, I had somebody send me something last night, and I had a chance to dwell on it or a chance to not dwell on it. And I knew if I dwelled on it, it would irritate me. And I said, I don't want to be irritated, and I don't want to come to church irritated. And I don't want to give the devil one square inch of my imagination. So you know what? I'm going to laugh right now. And I'm going to choose to focus on things that are godly and true. And not things that are a lie. And I determined in my mind that I'm going to use my imagination not to cross bridges that don't exist. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. What's going to happen? Quit perverting your imagination. You're prostituting your imagination. Why don't we start using our imagination 
for what God intended it for, and that's to come up with some pretty wild God-centered dreams. How I mean, you know when we said yes to go to Pakistan, the first thought that people had was, isn't that a Muslim country? Isn't that dangerous? Well, that's one thought. The other thought is, this country is incredibly ripe for the miraculous, for a move of God. Well, what would happen if there's a Muslim outbreak? Well, what would happen if there's a Holy Spirit outbreak? Why do we focus on Muslims when we can focus on the God who loves Muslims? Why do we focus on, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what's going to happen? Why don't you start focusing on, I can't wait to see what's going to happen? Why do we keep using our imagination for ungodly things? I'm telling you, God can do infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and your wildest imagination. So can you do this? Let's go hog wild with our Holy Ghost imagination this year. I'm challenging you. Let your Holy Ghost imagination run wild. Dwight L. Moody said this. I love this. If God is your partner, make your plans big. Here's what I'm challenging you to do this year. You've heard this said, your life is a gift from God, but what you do with your life is your gift to God. Here's what I want you to do with your life. Will you partner with me, and let's, let's, let's partner with the Lord in seeing what God wants to do through us, amen? Let's partner with God this year. So point number one, your life is not small. But look what Paul said here. Point number two, you're living your life in a small way. I want to give you a Bible quiz bowl, you know, test right now, and I'm going to, I'm going to throw out some names, and I'm going to see if they jog your memory, okay? Shemua, Shaphat, Egal, Palti, Gadil, Gadi. I know you guys, it's, it's ringing your imagination, it's, come, it's all coming back to you, isn't it? Emil, Sether, Nabi. And Guel, y'all remember them, right? They're in the Bible. I'm telling you, they're in the Bible, and, you, and they're some of your favorite characters, right? Wrong. You don't have, you're thinking I'm giving Pakistani names from people that were in that video. That's what you're thinking. Like, who, who are those people? Let me add two more names to the group and tell me if it puts it in perspective. I'm just going to give you two names. Joshua and Caleb. Who are all those other names I just shared? They were spies. They were part of the 12 tribe spies. Why is it that 10 of them, we couldn't even you know, know who they are? We can't even recognize them. But two of them instantly put everything in context. I'll tell you why. Because 10 of them were living small, and two of them decided to live large. 10 of them gave a bad report. And listen to me, people who give bad reports live in anonymity and shame simply because of their small-mindedness and their unbelief. But we all recognize Joshua and Caleb. Why do we recognize Joshua and Caleb? They simply believed what God told them, even though it required great faith. I'm just here to tell you today, God's plan is always mind-stretching, and if you choose to agree with God, you're going to live large, period. If you choose to agree with God, you're going to live large. I'm just going to say this again for underscore we have the pleasure, Friday night, of hosting one of the most uh, powerful apostolic leaders in the whole Middle East here to broadcast live from Livingstone. How many of you know that is exceedingly, abundantly, beyond more than I could even conceive? Who creates this stuff? God. 
You know what we decided to do? We just decided to partner with God. If your life is boring, it's because you're living it in a small way. I'm going to break all of our, you know, please don't be offended by this, but I'm just going to share you lovingly as your pastor. If you're partnering with you, the reason your life is boring is because you're boring. But, but let me just put the shoe on the other foot, and so am I. I'm real, in fact, I'm embarrassingly, embarrassingly boring. But I'm partnered with the God who is absolutely crazy, exciting, awesome, full of thrills and adventures. So here's the deal. Stop living your life small. What does that mean? Well, you live by your own resources. You live by your own wisdom. You live by your own idea to figure things out. No, you're way too small. Stop it. You need to start to live large. Isn't this interesting? God said, go in and explore the land that I'm giving to you. God already told them, I'm giving it to you. That wasn't even in question. But they spent 40 days. They check out the land. They come back. This land is flowing with milk and honey. It is unbelievable. Remember the grapes were so big it took two men to carry one clump of grapes. That's how big the fruit was in this land. But here's what happened. Bad report. Caleb, the Bible says, tried to quiet the people as they stood before Moses. Listen to Caleb's spirit. Let's go at once. Everybody say at once. At once. And take the land. We will certainly conquer it. How do you know that's a great spirit? All of these folks walked on the same land, saw the same thing, saw the same giants, saw the same grapes. They, they experienced everything the same. Caleb says, let's go take it. It's ours. But look what happened. But the other men, it just calls them the other men because they're nameless, because they're small thinkers, because they dishonor God with their unbelief. The other men who had explored the land with him disagreed. We can't go up against them. They're stronger than we are. So they spread this bad report about the land among the Israelites. The land that we traveled through and explored will devour anyone who lives there. All the people we saw were huge. We even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers. And that's what they thought too. How in the world do we know what they thought too? When you're a small thinker, first of all, you're so petty you think everybody's focused on you. Have you ever been around people like this? Everybody's talking about me. I've had people, I don't know if I can come back to the church. Everybody's talking about me. Sometimes I just have to pop people's bubbles. Trust me, they're not. (laughs) You're far more significant in your own mind than you need to be. And you're walking around in pettiness. You're walking around with a chip on your shoulder. You're walking around with your pouty face on. Why? Because you're a small thinker. And you're off track. And you're missing the big perspective of what God's trying to do because it's all about you and your hurt feelings and your unbelief. Come on. We got to live larger, folks. Are you hearing my heart today? We got to live larger. We got to believe God. We got to look at the big picture. We're little grasshoppers, and that's what everybody thinks we are. The problem is they compared themselves to the giants, but they failed to compare the giants to the size of our God. Maybe in the sight of a giant, you are small. But giants in the sight of our giant God are really tiny. And they're nothing for him. I've I've noticed this over the years in ministry, that a small mind and a large mouth usually go together. 
a small mind and a large mouth usually go hand in glove. In fact, some of the people that have the biggest this are the people that have the smallest mind as it relates to God and what God's trying to do. How do we live in a small way? Well, we, we live in unbelief. We focus on our circumstances instead of trusting God. We walk by sight instead of walking by faith. We trust in our human reasoning and strength. And why is it that we live our lives in a small way? Let me get to point number three here quickly. It's because we're small on the inside. Notice the Apostle Paul said, you've allowed your small thinking to fence you in. You know, the Bible says this, as a man thinks within himself, so is he. Whatever you think you are, whether it's good or bad, it's true. Because you will have a self-fulfilling prophecy that simply your life will fulfill what you really think about God and what you think about yourself. And if you never change the way you think, you will never change your life. In fact, I'll just tell you this right now. The manifestation of your life, how it's going, what you're doing, how you're living, is in direct relationship to your thought life. Everything starts with ideas before it ever manifests in the natural. Is this making sense to anybody? Now, I want you to hear this. If you don't, and I, if we don't enlarge our thinking, we are doomed to live small lives. We have to continually contend with what's between our ears. We have to change our thinking. Now, I want to show you this in action because this is powerful. We just got done reading through uh, the birth of Jesus during this holiday season as we celebrated Christmas. And I I was in Luke chapter 1. In fact, we preached on that for Christmas Sunday. Um, But one of the characters in Luke 1 is Zechariah. I mean, you know, Zechariah was a priest. Zechariah, his job was to teach people how to relate to God, how to hear from God, to teach people the ways of God. He was familiar, supposed to be familiar with God. One day he's doing his temple duty, and an angel of the Lord, the Bible says, appears to him right next to the altar. Obviously he's shaken, he's afraid by what he's witnessing, and this is what the angel tells him. He says, hey, don't be afraid. And then he calls him by name. He calls him Zechariah by name. You know, that's a pretty good sign that this is God. And then he tells him, hey, this is good news. I know you're freaking out right now. Settle down. But here's why I'm here. God has answered your prayers. That's good news. He says, Elizabeth, your wife is going to conceive. You're going to have a son. I want you to name him John. And then he goes on in the next few verses. He says, let me tell you, this kid's going to be special. God's going to do amazing things in this kid's life. Tells him all this amazing good news. Here's what I want you to see. Angel, called by name, in the temple. This is not some demonic counterfeit. This is God showing up. This is his messenger showing up in the temple, at the altar, to a priest who's supposed to be familiar with these things. And this is what Zechariah asked the angel. How do you expect me to believe this? How do you know that's really small thinking? Now, listen, I'm going to give us some of us a pass. Sometimes we read something in the Bible, a promise, and, and we waver a little bit. But how many know if Gabriel showed up in your bedroom? And he said, hey, don't worry, and he called you by name. He said, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God, which is what happened. Zechariah said, hey, how do you expect me to believe that? Dude, you have a giant angel standing in the temple by the altar telling you good news and that your prayers have been answered, that your barren wife is going to conceive, and that your kid has an amazing call in your life. And your response is, how am I going to believe that? <laughs> this is what Gabriel said. I'm Gabriel. I stand in the very, not the presence of God, the very presence of God, emphasis, 
it was God who sent me to bring you this good news, and I'm parenthetically adding this, and you're asking me for a stinking sign? What do you think I am? (laughs) So he said, oh, looking for a sign? Let me help you out. You're going to be shut up. Because I'm tired of, I'm adding mine in here, I'm tired, this is the Ron Johnson version, I'm tired of listening to your babbling unbelief. You're a priest for God's sake. I'm expecting more from you. God sends Gabriel, who stands in the very, his very presence with a message, and you're asking, how am I supposed to believe this? Dude, you got problems. I don't care if you are a priest, you got problems. You got a puny little mind that's limiting God. Now check this out. Angel, the, the angel Gabriel also had another assignment. God said, oh, go show up to the priest, tell him what's happening, Zechariah, but I also want you to go up to a little maiden girl named Mary. And the same thing happens, and I want you to see this. Check out Mary's response. She, just like Zechariah, has a visitation from Gabriel. Gabriel says, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. And Mary, the Bible says, she's confused, she's disturbed, she's, she's concerned, she's freaking out a little bit here, because this is pretty awesome, it's supernatural. Gabriel calms her down, tells her not to be afraid. And then he goes on to tell her, you're going to be giving birth to the Messiah. And check out a little teenage girl's response where the man of God fails epically. Look at Mary's response. She almost says the same thing, but her heart is completely different. Look what Mary says this. It says in this passage, this is uh, Luke one thirty four. Mary says, not how do you expect me to believe this, but she says, but how could this happen? I'm still a virgin. Notice she's not saying, how do you expect me to believe this, Gabriel, that I'm supposed to carry the Messiah? She's simply saying, this does not make sense to my mind because I have not known a man in that kind of a way. This is impossible. Virgins don't have babies. What's going on? And then Gabriel says this, the spirit of holiness is going to fall on you. And Almighty God will spread his shadow of power over you in a cloud of glory. This is why the child born to you will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your aged aunt, Elizabeth, has also become pregnant with the son. The barren one is now in her sixth month. And look at verse 37. Not one promise from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. Now look at what Mary says. This is so sweet. Mary says, this is amazing. I will be the mother for the Lord. And as his servant, check this out, I accept whatever he has for me. And then then she says, may everything you have told me come to pass. Can you all see the difference between tiny thinking and big thinking? Now, we don't need Gabriel to show up in our bedroom and deliver the the word, all right? I mean, you know, God has spoken. And I just want to tell you this, we, we have a puny view of God because our culture treats the word of God and largely the church treats the word of God not as God actually speaking to us. We compromise it. We, we get embarrassed by certain parts in the Bible that, that aren't politically correct nowadays. I'm just telling you the word of God has spoken to us and there's power in the promises of God and what God wants from us is to take the response that Mary had. This is amazing. I'll accept whatever you have for me, she says, and may everything that you've spoken, God, come to pass. You know what? Some of you received prophetic words uh, over the course of the last three days, um, and sometimes those words stretch you. You know what you need to do? You need to go, oh, that wasn't me. I can't do that. Oh, I guess he missed that on me. I, you know, I, there's no way that's about my life. 
You little Zachariah, you. <laughs> Why don't you say, Lord, if that's what you see in me, then accomplish your purposes. I'm available. Hey, this is amazing. I don't see it right now, but I believe that what God says can happen. And let me end with this, the call to live larger. Look what Paul says here. Open your lives, live openly, and live expansively. One of my favorite quotes is from the missionary William Carey. Some of you have heard this before. It's a great quote. He said, expect great things from God and attempt great things for God. Can I challenge you this year to join me in doing those two things? First of all, it starts with our hearts. I want to ask you this question. I want you to probe your heart right now. Do you have an expectation that this year is going to be a great year filled with more of God and more breakthroughs than you've ever experienced before? And I want you to think before you nod your head. What is your expectation? Where is your expectation? And then I want you to apply it to different situations in your life. Some, some, some situation we write off as hopeless. And I'm just telling you, God never, ever writes off anything as hopeless. Let's not limit what God can do. Amen? There might, be, there might be parts of your life where your expectations are high, and there might be other parts of your life where your expectations are low. Correct your low expectations. Expect great things from God. But what's the second thing that says there? Attempt great things for God. You know, my mom shared something with me this week. She was listening to to one of the podcasts that she listens to from a man of God, and and he said this. He goes, you know what? He goes, as soon as I stop exercising faith, my life dies. How many of you know all of our lives should be spent believing God for great things? We should go to our graves with unmet dreams and expectations that are to be realized either by the next generation or in the life to come. But we should never have, have a, an empty tank on expectation in God. And I'm just going to throw this out there. What if God asks us to do stuff this year that seems to cost more than we seem to have? Lord, whatever you say, this is amazing. This doesn't make sense. We don't know how it's going to happen. But you know what? According to your word, so be it. That makes sense? This is the way that it works. God's going to always ask us to do things that stretch our ability to, to receive. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to expect great things, and I want you to attempt great things. And to do that, we have to change our minds. Take a look at what it says here. We have to work on our heads. Look at Philippians 4. Eight. Two more verses and we'll pray. Keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real, honorable and admirable, beautiful and and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind. And fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising Him always. Man, there's so much in there. Why did I tell you to turn off your TV sets? Because if you're spending hours every night staring at the television, I guarantee you that probably 99% of what you're watching does not fit the, the, the qualifications that we were just told you right here, all right, to fasten our minds on. When you're watching something, ask yourself this question. Is it beautiful? Is it respectful? Is it honorable, admirable, pure and holy, merciful and kind? Or is it rude and crude and sensual and perverted? You know, we just laid hands, or not laid hands, we just swore in 
an elected official from the state of Arizona who's openly bisexual. There used to be a word for bisexual. It's called sexual perversion. And now our media glorifies it. We're living in a very perverted time. We're living in a very crude time. I saw another lady who just became an elected official who used the word MFR in relationship to the president at her swearing in. We're living in a wicked and perverse time. Now here's what I'm asking you to do. Don't disengage from the culture. But here's what I'm telling you to do. Don't become jaded by feeding yourself the culture. We're to be countercultural. So we have to meditate on things that are pure and holy. I don't get my news from watching it on TV because it's really not news. It's propaganda. So I'm not going to meditate on those things. Here's what I want in 2019. I want God to enlarge me so much that I have a voice, that I have anointing on my life to set people free, that I have the wisdom of God to know how to lead and how to operate, and I want to be a peacemaker, Gail. I want to be a bridge builder. I want to bring rest, restoration and healing. I don't want to be part of the problem. But guess what? If you watch the news every night faithfully, you're going to be one of the most depressed people on planet Earth. You're going to be angry. You're going to be bitter. You're going to be frustrated. And let me just tell you, none of those things are part of the kingdom of God. Not a one. So look at the last verse right here. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. We have to demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God, and we have to break through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought, and we insist that it bow in obedience to the anointed one. Isn't that great? I'm going to grab every thought, and I'm going to make it bow to what Jesus says in my life. I'm not going to let feelings dictate my Christianity. How many of you know your feelings will go like this? I'm not going to let what I feel like or don't feel like doing dictate my Christianity. Here's what I want to ask you, and I, I want you to think about this. We're getting real practical. We had lots of hands laid on, lots of altar ministry. This is different, but it's equally important. Here's what I want you to ask yourself. What is your plan this year to develop your thought life? so that you're not thinking small thoughts and you're not living a small life. How many of you know if you have no plan, you will fail and you will continue to live under what God has for you? Let me just throw this out there. Do you all have a through the Bible in a year reading plan that you're executing? I'm going to back up. Fasten your thoughts, Philippians 4.8, on every glorious work of God. Praising him always. How many know if you're weak in your knowledge of God, you have nothing to fasten your thoughts to? I'm going to challenge you again. You know what else you need to do? I'm just throwing it out there. You need to read a book a month. So by the end of this year, you've added 12 volumes to your library at home. Well, what books do I read? Why don't you start with a book on the nature and attributes of God? Because if you want to have big thoughts, why don't you start meditating on a big God? April, you took that class. Come on. It, 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 that was a big class, wasn't it? We got big thoughts about a big God. If you have a little God, little thoughts. Big God, big thoughts. 
What are you doing to grow in your knowledge of God? What are you doing to grow in your knowledge of doctrine? Some people look at doctrine like, oh, it's dry. Doctrine is life-changing. Doctrine is the infrastructure of your life. It's your doctrine that leads to your practice. You know, what's Chris going to pray about this year as an intercessor? Uh, her, all of her prayer life needs to be fenced in by the word of God so that there's no limits to what she believes God can do. If she has a small knowledge of God, she's going to have small vision. Can you see how practical this is? If you don't know what God says, you can't believe God. And if you don't meditate on God, what God says, you'll never know what he's like, and you're going to live small. How about, our, you know, it also said there that we need to give thanks in all things. How, how do we do that? I mean, that's, that's a miracle right there. That takes God. It takes God to be thankful for God. How do you fill your heart with thanksgiving? How about this? Again, turn off the negativity and fill your life with worship. I get in the car, I plug in my phone, it goes to Pandora. Next thing I know, my car is full of praise. Do you know we're living in the most incredible time on planet Earth? We have instant worship at our fingertips. How about this? Some of you have long drives to work. Are you being educated or are you cussing out the car in front of you on your way to work? Are you, you, you can get an education going to work and back if you're just consistent. Does this make sense to anybody? We went on vacation one time and listened to an entire teaching series on prayer all the way to Alabama and back. It was amazing. What are you doing with your time? Enlarge the scope of your thinking, and it will change the way that you live, and then you'll allow yourself to live larger this year. You know, when that passage says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he, it goes on to say that he tells you, hey, eat up. Have second helpings, Nate. That chili was so great. Have second helpings. But in his heart, he's jealous that you're eating his food because he's stingy. So on the outside, he's saying, oh, yeah, yeah, have more. But on the inside, he's regretting every bit of it. Some of you say, well, Pastor, you know, I would like to help, you know, what God's doing in Pakistan, but things are just tight. Okay, stay small. Stay small. Pastor, I would like to get in shape, you know, but I got to get up early for work. Okay, stay out of shape. Pastor, I would love to, you know, be smarter in this area, but, you know, my life's just so busy. Stay busy. Rejoice in your stupidity. Stay busy. <laughs> I'm having fun with you. But I mean, what's the truth? We either make excuses or we make changes. And, uh, and, I, and I, I'm just to say this over and over again. The reason generosity is a core value here is because generosity means we're living large. And I'm going to tell you this. We will never be able to accomplish what God wants to do through this church if we're stingy and narrow-minded and small and we feel like we never have enough. I mean, that's not how God lives. That's not who God is. So I don't know about you, but I want you to provoke me to righteousness, righteous thinking, righteous living, righteous loving. By the way, next week we're going to talk about putting away small loving. I want to provoke us in the Holy Ghost to love larger than we ever have this year. I mean, I'm trying to help you out here. I mean, we're going to be thinking great thoughts. We're going to be happy. 
We're going to be moving in the joy of the Lord. We're going to have more of the Holy Spirit. We're going to see signs and wonders in our lives. We're going to see God do amazing things. We're going to see answers to prayer. We're going to be, how many know if you have a wild dream in your heart, that'll keep you happy for a long time, even if it hasn't happened yet? Because you wake up every morning going, oh, that is amazing, even though you haven't grasped it yet. That's the power of thinking with God. So I just want you to join me in that. Can you stand to your feet? And I want us to pray. And I want us to pray like Mary prayed. I think that's a great model for us today. Praying like Mary. Join me, will you? I'm going to lead us. Father, whatever you're asking us to do, we just want to say, this is amazing. We accept as your servants whatever you have for us. We accept it. And may everything, Lord, that you've told us, both personally, prophetically, through the words of wise, godly counsel, through the scriptures, whatever you've told us, Lord, we just say, may it come to pass in our lives, in our church family, for the glory of God and for the good of your people. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.